HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Our master cheesemaker program is one of the only two in the world. So it's no wonder every master in America has called Wisconsin home. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Audrey Frick. We'll talk to Audrey about One White Street, opening a restaurant during the pandemic, her vast knowledge of Italian wines and others, and we'll talk about a lot more. Audrey was kind enough to bring in a Gruner from Austria, which we'll taste at the end of the show for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. New York-born Audrey Frick headed west to pursue music and become a buff at the University of Colorado. She got the hospitality and wine bug in Boulder at Bobby Stuckey's Frosker, working her way to the opening team at Tavernetta in Denver. Audrey has worked harvests around the world, found a love for Italian wines, and has an advanced certification from the CMS. The real question, though, is... How do you go from playing French horn to slinging wine? Audrey writes extensively about Italian wines and is now the wine director and part of the opening team at Dustin Wilson and Austin Johnson's Buzzy One White Street in Tribeca. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Audrey. Thank you so much for having me. We're talking to Audrey at the Heritage Radio Studios at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, so it's good to be back. Audrey, this is our third show since the pandemic that we're doing here. And we are also finishing up Sommelier September, um, where this month we had people like you, just the best and most knowledgeable and exciting people in the business. All right, so before we get into a bunch of things, um, help my listeners understand a little more about who you are. So give me a little background of your journey in life and wine that got you really to the opening crew at One White Street. 
Yeah, um, as you mentioned, thank you so much for the kind words. Um, Deserving. <laughs> um, but I moved to Colorado in 2006 uh, to pursue music uh, for the French horn and um, found myself uh, needing to get by, <laughs> as most students do. And, At least uh, French horn players. Yeah. Well, contrary to New York, um, New York has a great thriving gigs culture. So when you're a undergraduate student in conservatory, you can you can kind of get by and pick up pieces along the way. And um, Colorado didn't really <clears throat> have a ton of that at that time for me. So um, in probably about, I think it was 2009, 2010, I um, began working at the Boulder Duchamp Bay Tea House as a server. That's kind of a landmark, right? Yeah, yeah. it is. It's a beautiful, beautiful space. And um, But uh, started there as a server, and there were about probably 10, 12 bottles of wine. And I didn't know anything about them. So started, you know, if you're going to sell something, <laughs> and I'm a horrible liar, like right. truly terrible. So... Um, you can smell it a million miles away. So, um, so I started learning about these few bottles. I don't really remember what they are now, um, but I think maybe it was something. Uh, some there were some wines from Chile, and there was a German Riesling, and I think it was probably those kinds of things that sort of really transported me at that time. And uh, I'm a pretty narrow focused um, person when I get into something it's kind of all or nothing for me so uh, my focus shifted from playing the French horn 8, 10, 12 hours a day to wow. to studying and um, you know for for what it's worth I found out about the CMS and um, a gentleman named Bobby Stuckey uh, Master Sommelier and Guru. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know the scope of it at that time. It was probably better. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually, you know, yeah. in some ways really true. Um, but um well I if I had if I had known, I think certain things would be different, but you know, so it goes. Right. But uh, you know, uh I found myself really kind of obsessed with it and um really fell in love with it and everything about wine and beverage in general. Like it started with tea. There were hundreds right, of teas there. Now has parallels <laughs> to wine. A hundred percent. There's so a great, you, yeah. You take a job with Bobby at Frasca. I mean, you really start at the bottom type thing, right? Oh yeah. Um, I actually was too, I wanted to apply at Frasca. It didn't have the, the guts. It looked far above where I was at that time. So uh, there were two gentlemen opening a place called Oak at 14th, um, also in Boulder, who had come from Frasca. And so um, so Brian Dayton and Steve Radzikowski, um took me under their wing, and we opened that restaurant. They, I actually came on for the second opening. They had suffered a, a pretty devastating fire ah. um, that had put them out, a month, out for nine months, I believe. Wow, tough break. Yeah. And then when I kind of, when Brian kind of saw that I was really driven on this wine path and that oak was kind of more of a cocktail focus and, um, and I would take care of Bobby and Danette on Sundays. He, he sent me to Bobby. <laughs> he said, you really belong yeah. at Frasca if He's, you have this wine bug. 
he saw that that was my path and did everything to support it. And, Good guy. Um, and same with Bobby. So. so you get to Frasca. Just tell me from there how long you're there, what you're doing. And I mentioned you went to Tavernetta, which was one of his extensions. Yeah, um, both incredible places. Very, very different, but also same sort of culture piece. Um, so started at Frasca and... Uh, before that I actually started in the operator office. So um, I was answering the phones for both Pizzeria Locale (laughs) and for Frosca. Uh, That position I don't think exists anymore. (laughs) And then I got promoted to glass polisher. Um, And uh, so you, there's a, it's, you know, I'm a native New Yorker, but even having spent a little time in Colorado, I think it's only now that I really appreciate that room for what it is, but it's a beautiful, gorgeous, glowing room when you look up and you see all Zalto. Um, At the time, there were like other (laughs) other things, but um, it's a pretty powerful thing. Um, And that room really teaches you the flow of a restaurant. You know, you, you see the pacing from purely glassware and, you know, it's a, there's a tasting menu and, you know, there's two tasting menus there and then wine pairings. So feeling that flow and that pressure from a it's physical as, standpoint and you're trying not it's to. It's as good as anywhere. New yeah. York, Paris. I mean, his um, attention to detail, the quality of the food and the ambiance. Yeah. And you're just trying not to break the glass or cut yourself. Right. Especially and, Zaltos, right? <laughs> you know. I think he was on it before most people. Your heart just stops yeah. every single so time. So does everyone else. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's, yeah, it stops the room. So trying not to draw that attention to yourself. <laughs> so you take advantage of Bobby's expertise, the amount of wines that are around. You start really upping the game. Yeah. Um, but wasn't the focus Italian? You know, so the, the list at Frosca is global. It is. Okay. So, but it's based on the region of Friuli, Venezia, Giulia. So a really unique region that's tucked into the Northeast northeasternmost corner of Italy um, and has a, a tremendous like separation in terms of its influence like with the Austrian-Hungarian right. Empire. And, and the um, chef is, is he from there? No, he's not from, but that's no, the region he chose. To yeah, cook. Bobby and Lachlan, um, they, I, they had worked together at the French Laundry and, um, and so... Um, they fell in love with that region um, and opened Frosca in 2004. And um, God, so. pretty good run, strong yeah. as ever. All right, so you're there. How long and does anything unusual happen until you get to like Tavernetta? I mean, obviously they like you, so they're opening another first time maybe outside of Boulder, right? Yeah. Denver? I mean, it's a <clears throat> you know, it's a it's about process and really mastering every position there and um I definitely um I have oh, I've always had like a a level of impatience in myself and wanting to get to the next level and um but personally I was committed to the the journey and the path that that was set ahead of me there and um, but it's a, it's a long one. You know, you have to wait for, it's, it's a small restaurant. Did it teach you patience? Cause patience <laughs> is underrated. Oh, for sure. If you could be patient, you can get there. I mean, I think, um, I think that's probably why I left the French horn, you know, in some ways, you know, if I had really 
said, this is all I'm going to do, then, you know, so there was probably a level of impatience in me at that point. So yes, I think it definitely taught Bobby and Frosca and everyone in those walls taught me a tremendous amount about the process and patience and what it is to be great. Right. <laughs> and um, sometimes that's not like the, most of the time, it's not the like glitzy, over the top stuff, right. right? It's all about basics. That's how you get to be glitzy by, <laughs> yeah. you know, checking in on the basics. Um, all right. So when does Tavernetta come up? So Tavern, so I was there, so I was at Frosca from, uh, I believe it was 2013. Um, and then we opened uh, Tavernetta in 2017, I believe is that. Oh, so decent. So yeah, so I was at Frosca for about four years and then we um, went down to open Tavernetta, um, and as all great construction projects go, <laughs> not on time. <laughs> right. But wait, when you yeah. left Frosca, were you full blown sommelier? I mean, were you a yes. wine guy, wine woman yeah. person? Okay. So at that point, I was really kind of moved into that at, at Tavernetta full time. At at Frosca, at that point, um, I was probably a few days a week as a sommelier. Um, it's a, again, it's, you know, oh, so you were doing that plus other things. Yeah. So yeah, most of my time there was server. Yeah. I was an advanced by 2016. And, I was going to ask you, so yeah. during that tenure at Frosca, you worked on your certifications. Yeah. Cool. And definitely failed that a few times. <laughs> well, you're not in the, uh, uh, minority. So Tavernetta, you're given a little more rope, you know, as far as the wine and all that. Yeah, so um, we started with a, a great group of three sommeliers and, of course, Carlin Carr, who's my dear friend and mentor, and um, she really oversees all of the programs. Still there, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. She's, she's been doing this there for... Lucky to have her. She's incredible. Yeah. Um, if you haven't had the chance to meet her... I haven't met her, but um, I only hear good things. She's the best. you gotta got to bring her on yeah. um, when, when we can get her to New York. I can't wait. Um, so, uh, so she oversaw that program. She built that list. And then, um, we had a team of three of us, um, Brian Trader, Tyler Potts and myself, and, um, we all shared equal responsibility, um, there. Um, and, uh, really like we just banded together. Um, it wasn't without trials and tribulations leading up to that point. You know, I, I don't think at, there was a period where I wasn't scheduled to go down there. There was a period where I was scheduled to be the head sommelier. There was a, and then that shifted and, you know, all of those things I think are really, I'm, I'm so glad that they happened to be sure. honest, you sure. know, it, it, it makes the path for you. So you spend how much time there and when do you come to New York? So I was there, um, until, um, in basically in January of 2019, I made a trip home and, uh, you know, just came, I don't take family a lot of vacation. Yeah. York, right? And, and, you know, you see your family and you're like, wow, I don't Wait, get to do you, this a lot. You, you came home to visit gainfully employed. No, uh, or so, you had left. No, no, no. I was just on a vacation, vacation. to visit. Okay. <laughs> And, so what happens? You got and, some kind of bug? Yeah, I just, I, it just felt like it was time to move home. And it was a really emotional thing for me. I came back and I told Bobby at the beginning of pre-service I needed to talk to him oh, at the end of the night. And he was like, absolutely not right now. Right now. We Don't do, think do that, that to me. That, that, that's one of the other great 
things about yeah. that culture is like it's you don't hold on to anything no. you do, know. you you're direct and you get it out <laughs> like he that's know. always the best way of communication and so it wasn't like I put in a week or two it was a, almost a year that I put in notice and um it wasn't a notice even it was just I'm ready to move home I would love to run a program it's time you know we've this was the path when I started and they said, what do you, you know, they're really goal oriented. So, uh, you know, they said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to run a program. And, you know, that was what I had set out to do. And it was time. So um, he was like, we're going to find you something great. And I wasn't expecting an answer like that minute, that week, that when month. When he said that, did he mean like through his contacts in New York or yeah, locally he, there? I or think wherever. all of the above, Okay, you know, just here in the city. And, um, and so kind of long story short, uh, he found out that Dustin was going to be opening something and, um, him and Dustin are close. So yeah, his recommendation has sway. It was a pretty powerful moment there because I, I think it's just the, the lineage, you know, and not to say that that's everything, but, you know, you dedicate X amount of years of your life. I mean, if I could have stayed at Frosca for forever, it's that type of place. Yeah. It's like yeah. there is a buy-in, you know, yeah. and, and that school of thought and, and you watch the evolution of a, of a restaurant group and, right. um, it's pretty powerful. All right. So Bobby reaches out, he knows Dustin so you transition, and we'll get to stages and all that, but you transition from being out in Colorado to coming to New York and committed to One White Street, which sort of segues into my next question. Um, so you were part of the opening team at One White Street. Oh, yeah. Right? All right. So we talked about how you got involved in the project. I had that as a question. Um, let's talk about what it's like opening a restaurant during the pandemic. Remember you talked about the construction at Tavernetta. I would <laughs> guess that the pandemic itself had an effect on deadlines and people and hiring and all that. So tell me about opening, you know, a restaurant during the pandemic, the things that just still, you know, don't leave your head. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was under con the building itself is a is a four story townhome in Tribeca, and it was under construction for three years. So, um, well, more renovation, right? Because it's a building that's been around. Yeah, it's the a, John Lennon exactly, thing, which maybe we'll get into. Utopia. Yeah. So, it's um, it it required a lot, and of course, pandemic. You know, sure there were construction things that were affected by that, of course, and. Um, but that's always neat. It's just so, how it goes, I think. I Probably the listeners aren't confused, but yeah. I am. The construction was from Dustin and Austin after they committed to get the building yeah. to this restaurant-ready type vision. Oh, yeah. We thought we were going to open in the spring of uh, 2020 uh, okay. like originally. So I moved back in, in November 2019. Uh, when, and we thought we would only, we thought we would only be a few months out. So that deadline of spring of 2020 preceded the March COVID bust out. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then that's a good, <laughs> you know, uh, time set. So then COVID comes, yeah. which goes back to my question, 
Now what happens? Frozen or unknown? Yeah, I mean, well, it was the building was very much still under construction okay. until the moment we we opened. So that you didn't run work into, against yeah. you, right? <laughs> Love the Department you of Buildings. You would not have opened yeah. in the spring, even if there was no. No, problem. there yeah. was absolutely okay. no way that that was not happening. So we got in. In some ways, I feel very fortunate that we didn't feel the need or the pressure to open in the in the heart of the pandemic. We, right. I mean, we definitely thought about all the iterations of how to open and changing the concept even over and over and um and ultimately now kind of where we all began <laughs> so if i'm correct if i look back you opened a little more than a year later than that right oh yeah Cause spring of 2020 didn't you open mid late summer this year 2021 yeah we opened august 5th august 5th so more than a year and all of that yeah all right so um I want to come back to the specifics of the restaurant and your wine program, but I wanted to get your take on a few other things. Um, you, you know, you may have been lucky because you had a good work-life balance at a place like Frasco, which is important to Bobby. Um, I think the pandemic, you know, put a spotlight on how bad things were. And I think a lot of credible people spoke out, wrote pieces and all of that. Um, I mean, look beyond One White Street, because I think One White Street is a little like Frosco, where the owners, management are sensitive to that. You have friends in the business. Is life the same? Better? I mean, wh wh where are we, you know, people are leaving the industry because they could be a truck driver at Amazon versus a line cook, not saying a lot about the business. But guys like you on the floor, um, servers, cooks i mean do you, is there has there been any sort of upgrade in life or is it too early to tell i think it's i think it's a little too early to tell that and i think also you know to be fair it's a i know in my in our experience it's it's a restaurant opening and you know i i fully respect all of everyone you know i totally understand the the shift away from that mentality and and people rethinking what they're able to do and finding other outlets for for their careers in wine and there are so that's the beautiful part about wine right you can do there's really so many outlets yeah like you and don't necessarily yeah yeah and and i think that's wonderful um for myself i feel like uh you know it is a restaurant opening so you know it, i would be it would be disingenuous for me to say that we aren't working a lot of hours right now. Right. Everyone right. in that space is working a tremendous That's amount. That's fair for an opening. Yeah. And, and you're forewarned probably. And, you know, I would love to say that we're not immune to the the short staffings that everyone is. But I do think, I, I like to think big picture and, and longer term. And I do believe very strongly that we will get there. Right. And that, you know, I mean, we were, when we first opened, we were seven days. It quickly became aware that we couldn't do that and be sustainable Burnout. to ourselves <clears throat> to, and if we can't do it for ourselves, then how are we supposed to ask anyone else to do it? You right. know? So I do think that's top of mind for all of us and, yeah. um, as a leadership team, as a, as a group, um, 
And I do think we'll get there very, you know, quicker, sooner than later. And we're already, you know, it's, it's a snapshot in time. It feels like it's been a really long time for, and and again, for some people, it has been a really long time. I don't want to like keep in mind, we've only been open six and a half weeks. We've been open seven weeks, you know? So this is, you know, there are people who have been going through this pandemic the whole time. That's a long, that's a long time. I think maybe their coloring of this would be a little different potentially. Right. So, fair take. Um, but I do think down the road there will become a more attention overarchingly to well-being and but I time think, spent. I think you could comfortably say that because the people involved in the restaurant, I don't think we could say that about everywhere. You know, these are good guys and they'll they'll realize that. So I guess it has to start at place by place, and we can only hope that the industry does take a turn. Um, we got to take a break soon, but I want to get your take on one other thing and go wherever you want with it. You know, you'd mentioned you have an advanced certificate from the quartermaster sommeliers. Um, I would say right now things are very quiet over at the court after some very high-profile scandals. And I always say that the quiet benefits them, <laughs> the fact that nobody's talking about it. A um, couple things that, you know, interest me. Are you going to further your studies? Is what happened, does that have any effect on where you take this? Yeah, I mean, I to be to be candid, I did yeah. also co-author the <laughs> petition against them from candidates. That, I know uh, yeah, that, exactly. but I no, want to no, check totally. in now. Yeah, you totally. Know, so I mean, dusted, yeah, hundred you know. percent. And but um, and you know, m- myself and and one of my co-authors, we we did just sit for the exam, um, and um, so I think you know. So to be, you know. D- d- Say. It's a tough one because, you know, I think that there is a place for higher education and furthering one's own. Um, maybe there, maybe not. Exactly. Fair enough, right? Totally. And and for myself, I, I can only speak for myself here, but um, I, I do think that is it, a, is it a perfect system? Absolutely not. Uh, clearly there are incredible challenges there <laughs> to put it, you, that's a euphemism but right <laughs> but i do believe that there are good there, there are good people behind there that are working towards um so to that point yeah and we know some of those people yeah you know you've known these people that are in there now and doing testing and trying to work with the board and all that um have you seen any changes there I wouldn't, at this point, I wouldn't say that satisfy you, but are you seeing change for the better or even that slow? I mean, I don't think, I think all the, I think at the moment, I maybe haven't seen much in, in turn. I think there has been a slowdown. Maybe it's because they've picked up exams again. Yeah. Um, but I, I got to the point where I didn't feel like the outreach was, it didn't feel performative anymore. And that to me was a big determining factor. And so as long as we keep kind of being, it's, a, it's an awareness, right? And it, it takes work and it's constant and it's not something that I think has a finite 
moment of when things will be okay or when they won't be. Um, Right. I mean, I mean, I think there is a, there is a tipping point when it's not, but I do think as long as it's continuing to, to do so that, um, you know, there are lots of organizations, lots of schools, lots of that are doing good that things are, that are doing good things. So and offering similar education. Yeah. Um, I'll back you against the wall a little on this one. Does the pin have the sway it used to have? Mm, to me, it's not. And this again, I can only speak to myself. That's all we're talking. But. Um, for me, when something that when I went to the exam and I didn't pass, um, uh, it occurred to me after taking the exam that something had changed in me, and I realized and recognized that I have the job I want. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm very lucky. I really this is what I've been set. This is what I've set out to do. Um, That's a good point. I really love. The people I work with, and um, and I feel incredibly fortunate to have these opportunities. So, I'm not there trying to change who I am or who I'm going to be. To me, though, there is a <laughs> a self, probably a detriment to a self detriment, like a stubbornness to just know that I can do it. Right. And you know, to spend so many years, more years than I ever spent playing. The horn and right. conservatory yeah, it's, it's yeah. pretty wild yeah um you know the, so there's a stubbornness there on my part that i'm, I, I, I'm fully that. aware of and and i do hope and i i do hope that there is that that there are other opportunities to further education by having that but to me it's not about that anymore so. no and you or, you set that up well um, there was a time where people thought that they had to do that to get where they wanted to be. I mm. think you figured out that it goes way beyond, you know, a pin or the cord or whatever. Um, <clears throat> tell me about this. We're going to break in a minute and talk about, you know, one way treat the wine program, what you're doing over there. But I always ask my uh, guests, especially my sommelier guests, Tell me about some wines, winemakers, regions that are exciting you right now. And the, if there's such a word, the excitation could be you personally, you for the restaurant. You know, this is cool for here. Um, tell me a few things that are, you know, interesting to you. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, I think it's a wonderful time for wine. Yeah. I think um, whether you're comfortable eating and drinking out or not. I think it's been a really exciting time to, for people to discover new wines um, so tell me and about get to some. know like your neighborhood I'm tapping <laughs> wine you for specifics. shops. Um, yeah, no, That's a I good think, point. Your neighborhood like, wine shop will help you there. Yeah, but I have Audrey in front yeah. of me and Audrey's going to answer this question. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I, I, I was never a Spanish wine lover historically and um, I love the wines of Guimaro and uh, G-U-I-M-A-R-O. Yep, Guimaro. Exactly. I hope okay. I'm not butchering their pronunciation. No, no, so no. sorry if I am. I think I you am. got it. Uh, but from Ribera Sacra, those the Mencias that are... Mencias the grape, that, right? Yep, exactly. And grown on these schist soils that are incredibly like difficult to farm and just have this dark-fruited quality but have lift and freshness to them. And Does a maker come to mind? 
Can you? Oh, Gimara is the. Oh, yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, I forgot you said that. That producer is really, really lovely. Um, I love the wines of Formonos. Um, in, uh It's uh, so four, the number. Oh. Um, M O N O S. Formonos. Um, okay. The four monkeys, and uh, it's uh, they're in Sierra de Grados, and they make great Abilo and um, high elevation or relatively high elevation um, Garnacha, um, but nice. really fresh and vibrant, um, and I think are just delicious. The, uh, their whites are textured and without, like, without being fat and oily. They're great. Right. They're in, they're just those are those were really surprising to me. So how does this come about? I mean, did you travel at all? Or have you traveled since COVID? You know, there were opportunities when you work, you could take off and visit vineyards. That didn't go on, and then when things felt safe, you didn't go anywhere really, right? Yeah, no, I so, I've been. Pretty much in lower Manhattan. Yeah, right. You haven't even been above like Chelsea. <laughs> I haven't left the neighborhood in what? a really long so time. Is it, is it a wholesaler importer? You know, um, who influences you where you answer this question now that you have this new appreciation or an appreciation for these Spanish wines? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I mean, I, I also was before, during the pandemic, you know, I was helping Dustin and the Verve team. Okay. At, so, and he, you know, he's and, got a good Spanish. Yeah. And those wines and Jose Pastor selections are and um, you know, the, they're, that like, makes total they're sense. They're incredible, you know, just opening your mind to trying something different. And um, I think it's a really, yeah, it was just a perfect spot for me to do that. But there's got to be stuff where people tried to open your mind and you tried something different that didn't hit you the way this stuff does, right? Yeah, and maybe it's a salesy thing, too. <laughs> maybe people weren't pressuring me at that moment. Well, then... <laughs> that, that was my next question. I mean, are importers and distributors, like, back on the street in full force with product? Um... You know, where you got to slot them and, you know, they're pushing too much stuff that you could even consider i mean I is think that there yet i don't think so i mean no. and to be to be honest i just don't have the time to take as right. many appointments as, mo as maybe you. in the future i would right now we're just trying to get the foundation of the restaurant off the ground and make sure we have you'll worry the about that later right <laughs> like <laughs> which we're gonna talk about um audrey we have to take a quick break um when we come back, I want to talk about the restaurant and the wine program um, and a couple other things. We're talking to Audrey Frick. Audrey is the wine director at One White Street, um, which is definitely a new hot restaurant in Tribeca in New York. And when we come back, we'll talk about that. You're listening to The Great Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. In Wisconsin, cheese is our thing. Wisconsin is the only state in the country that requires a license to make cheese. From curds to cheddar, blue to brick, Wisconsin cheesemakers can do it all. We blend tradition with innovation to create an incredible variety of cheeses that you just can't get anywhere else. You've heard of a PhD, but have you heard of a PH cheese? otherwise known as the Wisconsin Master Cheesemaker Program. This rigorous study of cheese is an elite accomplishment earned by only 80 talented cheesemakers in Wisconsin, and the program is only one of two in the world. 
Becoming a master cheesemaker takes 13 years and is basically like a doctorate in a specific variety of cheese, with intense requirements to succeed. Our master cheesemaker program allows makers to perfect both the art and science of their craft in a tradition so rich you can taste it. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Audrey Frick. Audrey is the wine director at One White Street. On White Street in Tribeca, Audrey is also our fourth in a series of Sommelier September expert wine people. Um, so we'll get some more takes from her. All right, let's talk about One White Street, the restaurant, okay? Tell me about your participation in the putting together and curation of this wine list? 100%, 90%, I mean, what, what was your hand in it? Um, yeah, I, it's um, it's 100% my list. It is. Um, but, um, yeah. So I'm, your boss, who's a swell guy, one of your bosses, is Dustin Wilson. He's a master sommelier. So did I say he's a master sommelier? And then he owns multiple wine stores, which are very well curated. Was he standing over you going, why are you doing that? Or shouldn't you think? Of Not once. Uh, I almost wish, at, especially in the early stages, I was always like kind of hoping he would <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> jump in. Pretty cool and like, that he didn't though, right? Um, I, I think it's, I think... In, in the future, I'll probably be very grateful that he didn't and doesn't. He knows better. Um, he's, but were there, but it's a, yeah. Were there marching orders? Like, here's, and we'll talk about the food in a second. You know, I had um, James O'Brien here last week, and when he opened Popina, yeah. it was basically Californian Italian. It's more global now. Yeah. I think that was his thing. Is there any thinking or just the best wines you could put on the list? No, it was, um, well, you know, first of all and foremost, it was, you know, here's your budget. <laughs> and Fair. you know, and then well, that's cool. and that's then, really and then we the get and over. then we get and then we get, you know, halfway through and then it's like, okay, you have a little less. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of construction. Um and then it's no, but I it's not to say I you know, I'm I don't, nothing's a hundred percent anyone's. So I mean yeah, you know, I mean, it's you know, because I, I I also it's their restaurant and I'm a firm believer in carrying out the vision that we all set and that so, they set their vision. So, so to that point, yeah, cause that's a good setup again too. What is, how do you define the list or what's the mission of the list? Yeah. With all of that, now you're really getting into, you know, specifics. What, what's the wine list? Yeah. So we have a farm first and also that, uh, in, in the Hudson Valley. So just outside of Hudson, right, New York. I was going to ask you later, but talk yeah. Rigger Hill Farm. Yep. What is it? So be, be specific. Yeah. So it's an organic working towards biodynamic farm that, um, Austin really has done an incredible job curating everything that's going into that. Um, Danny Morales and, and his partner Katie are, are doing incredible things up there. Um, but, um, you know, that's, top of mind all of our produce is coming from there so um so, it's so the idea of, yeah it's control yeah. it's you know control in a good way here's what mm -hmm. we like what we want to do and danny's up there austin's cooking 
um, and it's legitimately farm to table, you know, collaboration. Mm -hmm. But why did you bring that up when we were talking about wine? Because I think it's important to be informed by what we're receiving from the farm. So to say it's seasonal doesn't really do it justice. I know it's, it's nothing new to talk about this. I don't, it's not reinventing anything here, but you know, it, for example, it rained in, um, in August, incredible amounts. So we lost all of our carrots. And then, so we had this surplus of mushroom. And so you, these things that you expect are going to happen, life happens. Good point. And so and you, carrots was a big part of the opening <laughs> menu. I and think. Yeah. Right? I mean, there were, there were carrot skewers, <laughs> <Right>. there were, <laughs> you know, there were That's a couple what, things, you, and, pivot. you know, it's like you want to, and opening a restaurant, you want to, um, yeah, things are going to change all the time and that's going to be a great thing. But you want also your team to feel really confident in being able to digest information and you're, you're creating this culture. It takes time. So, so how does, <laughs> how does um, the farm fit into the mission and you defining the wine list? Keep going. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, it's a very New York seller. It's on the fourth floor of a of this building that's a fairly small attic yeah it's not like you know this isn't right it's not emp's cellar um (laughs) and so uh there's limited space and i think keeping it informed by what we're receiving from that and being flexible so um and also just having great value like across the the values and important collaborating with austin yeah who is working with a farm and, and focusing on that, that's part of it. Um, what else? What about like the type yeah. of wines, producers, natural? I mean, do you have a yeah. mindset on that? It's globally inspired. So, I mean, and as is Austin's cooking. So it's very, there's fresh, like there's freshness to it. There's always great textures. So it's an incredibly food friendly um, situation to be in. And, um, and it's also really great because I can be really versatile and, and expand and be a little more adventurous in some categories. So, um, so I will never out, I can't, you know, wave a giant PR flag saying it, but you know, it really is a focus on sustainable and regenerative agriculture as is informed by what we're doing at the farm. So I think that that's something that, you know, is more and more important as, we get down these roads yeah. of uh, well, natural <laughs> okay. wine is no longer a term because natural could be anything. Sure. Sustainable is a good practice, but people can do other things. Yeah. Regenerative. Now you're getting into how guys farm. I mean, now you're getting specific. Is is few biodynamic and organic guys there are guys who practice regenerative. You know, so you're really, you know, picking out the cool guys in that sense. Yeah, and I think um, we're only scratching the surface with it, too. It's, you know, I think if you listen to people like Mimi Castile talk about it, it's there's a whole other level that I mean, I'm I'm I feel very just on the surface level of education on it. So but I think it's important to pay attention and try to, I, I to love focus that. on that. But I, I I worry about this sometimes. You can't control the clientele and it's mm-hmm. a very high profile restaurant tribeca is maybe the wealthiest zip code in new york at this point so that's your clientele 
do people come in and they're just looking for trophies? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so that happens. How do you, I'm just curious. You know, I'm Mr. Big Wise Guy, and I'm like, I need an 89 Leoville Lacoste. I think that's awesome. Let's go. But, so what, wait, <laughs> do you carry yeah. it? What I mean, happens? I don't have that yet. But, you know, I think it's important to carry some of the great wines of the world. I'm not going to – it's never going to have maybe the exact – because thing of, that you're looking for, right. but and you because know, of the size, like yeah, you said. and but I think it's important to have some of that as well. I, I don't, I don't look. I mean, the under a hundred and fifty dollar range, I pay a lot of attention to it. Under a hundred, oh, I really isn't want a big part of the list. Under a hundred, a hundred percent. It's I want every page when you flip it open to be able to find something under a hundred dollars. That's really great. And so what's cool about that is like, you can really dive into like all these indigenous grapes from around the world that max out at that price point, try to spend $150 right. on it. You can't cause it's, it's just, and that there's, that's amazing. So I think that that's a really valuable part of the list and I will always pay attention to that is tremendously. That a, is that a challenge or there's enough, you know, think, producers that make sense for the food and what you like. I think there's so many. It's it's about not offending your friends. And, you. and, That's a great thing. You know, it's like I, I'm like, oh man, I have you to make have sure so I represent so and so, and and you will get there. You know, it's but that's the part of that's the beauty of a rotating list. It's not to be stagnant. It's not supposed to be like the core list. Right. I mean, you have to have some things that you can that you can kind of lean on, but I. I I do think it should. It, that's the fun of it. That, I think that's the fun part. Yeah, I think that's the high what, end speaks yeah, for itself. That's what keeps you juiced, you know? and it's a challenge. Part of the challenge is not being able to take your friend's wine that you like. It's just you maxed yeah. out. Um, you look at a lot of wine lists, and it's by varietal, it's by region, not yours, right? No. Tell me how you have your wines listed. So it's <clears throat> roughly organized by feel and uh, whether in a combination Get, of. Explain. Aromatics and texture. So it's uh, so really it starts with uh, really like bright and refreshing white wines, and then well, of course, champagne and sparkling and wines by the glass. We have, you know, um, but bright and refreshing, and then into more aromatic varietals, and then into full and vinous uh, styles of wine, and then into macerated and rosé, and right. then same with reds. Um, so this is kind of a, <laughs> a hot one, I guess, is the chillable red section that I have. Very um, hot. I know. But, um, you know, I think it's it could be misconstrued. And um, it's not to say that I think that all wine, I think wine should be served at silver temperature. I just think that some wines benefit from being served a, a couple degrees cooler and be set so on the, ice. the and, chillable red can yeah. be a little chillier than yeah. the 57, 55. You know, yeah, it's like some of these, you know, some of these varietals that lose their structure and just, I think, feel better and have more tension and snap to them when they're served colder. It's not to say that I that's a blanket rule. Like, for example, you know, in the summer, I had Beaujolais there. Now it's moved over to Noble Red Fruit. You know, Beaujolais, right. this is that time of year where... Serve those great like crews of Beaujolais at cellar temp and give them the the nobleness that they deserve or whatever right. <laughs> you know so um, so serve them a little warmer. Same with whites, you know whites that well, should be textured. You brought a white in. You asked if I could chill it, and I said we ain't chilling it. <laughs> yeah. we'll get the real taste from room yeah, temperature. No. But but I get you know there's a way to do it and and present that wine or that grape the best yeah. way. Um, I made you do that, so there's no. <laughs> Um, when we're talking about the list, you know, you're talking about the fourth floor storage and, you know, smaller list. What are we talking about, like, selection-wise? 
You, um, you mean in terms of numbers? Like yeah, 300 is where we're right, sitting at right about now. I do have the ability to kind of grow that a, a touch, but okay. um, but it's a, it's a work in progress. Is by the glass uh, an accommodation or an important thing for you to present? Huge. Um, so downstairs, so really we're two restaurants in right. one. Explain. So downstairs is a wine bar um, and it's a separate menu, um, you know, and then second and third floor are tasting menu. Um, with optional wine flight. So I think it's important that those are separate than the wines by the glass. And then we have about 20 selections by the glass at the moment. So, um, and then those are constantly going to be changing. Right. Seasonal food. Yeah, exactly. But the tasting menu, Mm -hmm. can't you succeed at doing a wine by the glass through the tasting menu? Sure. I think it's up. I mean, I'm happy to offer those like, it, you know, if someone if we're pouring something upstairs and someone asks for something, you know, by all means, we can. Oh, okay. we can pour it downstairs. It. So but you have but an it's, idea a, you it's a cro- it's a cross. It's a <clears> cross. <throat> they're they're independent of one another. So there's kind of multiple things going on within yeah, the same I space at one time. I'm glad, yeah, you, yeah. I'm glad <laughs> you explained that. Um, so it sounds pretty exciting and it sounds like you're there, but it's always going to be moving. You know, which is nice, but like I said, against the food, against the seasons, taking things on and all. Um, it, it sounds very exciting. Um, you can go online and look at the list, you know, if you go to One White Street. I update it almost every day. Do you? <laughs> wow. That's why you're so busy. Um, I want to subject you to our wine list, um, which I mentioned. I'm going to ask you five questions that we ask all our guests. But before we get to that, you have a passion project. I don't know if it's still going on. It's your opportunity to play the French horn. It's a band, whatever you call it, Champagne Supernovas. Is that still <laughs> happening or was that a one-off? No, uh, that's that's definitely a future real thing. Tell me, More just tell the... <laughs> everyone what Champagne Supernovas are. Uh, so it's basically um, myself and a bunch of uh great wine women in California and Colorado and um, <laughs> kind of a joke, but not at all. They're, they've been having practices. Well, you're classically out. trained yeah, you totally. know, horn player. I'm sure there's other people that have pl- you know, piano lessons since they were eight type thing. The, the Beatles use the French horns, so I think that would make That's a really right. uh, great first one for me to try to take down someday. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and uh, but yeah, Taylor Grant, Liz Hittinger, uh, Jamie Anderson, um, yeah, Carlin's a part of it. <laughs> so when you Megan can. Megan over at Verve SF. Uh, so these are friends. Yeah. But when you can, you try to yeah, we're, play together. Yeah, and they've been coming up with songs and like, okay. we're, it, you know, part cover band, part. Uh, Very cool. Part original. Um, I want to stay in touch with you on that and see how that progresses. When the world is back to normal yeah. and we can have a like point. a real concert feel. That's a good I, point. Yeah. You're not there like, that way yet. I don't but, know if we're right, like huddled up in a room and I agree in Jersey somewhere. You know? The concept is cool. The execution is a little harder right now, but we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. Someday the stone pony or whatever, All right. or something That's along your those lines. <laughs> All right. Um, Carnegie Hall. Yeah. Um, all right. So here's the wine list. Five questions. Everyone gets asked the same five questions. You may have answered this before, but what are you drinking now? What's in your fridge? What are you liking? You know, is it the Gourmero? You know, Ribera's? What else? Um, for the restaurant, for you? Yeah. Um, well, last night, um, 
one of our managers and I, after we were locking up, we had shared a glass of the Domain Ostertag Sylvaner Old Vine from 2017 that we were pouring on the list with um, our gazpacho, which I thought was incredible, but we changed that. So we had a little bit of that extra to, to share. And that was beautiful. Um, so Sylvana um, from Ostertag, who's a good producer. Yeah, what really else? fresh and, and, you know, not, you know, there's texture, but it's not heavy. Right. Um, really, really lovely wine. Um, frankly, when I usually get <laughs> a chance, I just want a little crisp Pilsner, All right. something very bright, okay. zippy. Um, so you get away from it and hide in beer. Yeah. And Pilsner. You but, like uh, a white, you know, traditional. <laughs> hey, I'm with you. But yeah. You're not, you know. Sundays are great days for wine, though. Okay. So, um, All right. So those are good. Do you have a Pilsner that you go back to or you try everything? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm a huge fan of uh, Suarez, Dan Suarez. Up in, up in yeah. The I, I wish you can get those beers easier. I, yeah. yeah. Valentine Pills. He's just the best. Yeah. And uh, don't say anymore. You yeah. let the secret in. All right. <laughs> um, all right. Second question Do you have a favorite wine and food pairing? Something oh. you don't necessarily eat all the time, but it's right. Yeah. I'm lots i like to eat a lot <laughs> and okay, drink me too. um i would say like probably like fried chicken and champagne i know it's a super classic i mean some of the classics super are classic and throw a little um like caviar or trout roe on there and on the i'm chicken? done yeah just yeah i'm it's a big fan of roe. restaurants are serving that now <laughs> i'm a big you fan know. of it so i'm here for that all day Syrah and burgers Syrah <laughs> burgers okay uh, very good. All right, I'm going to take those two, and those are two good ones. Um, obviously, you were out of town for a lot of years. You were subjected to the pandemic. You are stuck, you know, with long hours opening a restaurant. But think about a favorite wine restaurant and or bar. Places, like, it's funny. Everyone I have in, I could categorize their restaurant as that place well thought out wine list the right people the good vibe who else you know where would you go and feel comfortable with all of that yeah i mean first and foremost i mean i mean where i typically go i i also love our block i wish i could frequent our neighbors on right. our block i mean i have frenchette and petard right down the street there I, I wish i could we don't have days off yet like where that's possible but you know i i feel very honored and like just grateful that we're in that same like little space um of course Tawar down in that area as Paul well Greco. um i can't wait to see whatever pascaline does at racine versine's two point whatever um far, right? can't wait for whatever she's gonna do there um but i find myself at pasquale jones a lot on sundays for brunch nice um, they have a good they have a good tight wine list. Too. Yeah, and it's just such a comfortable space, and it's beautiful. Um, so, if um, as time progresses, and maybe you can go out after work, the neighborhood possesses. Yeah. And you know, like a Franchette, certainly you can get an interesting wine there. Batard, fancy. Um, all right. So those are good answers. Um, you actually did answer the question. <laughs> all right. Favorite all-time wine. Uh, I used to ask this, Audrey, what was the most expensive rare wine? I don't care. What's the wine that's had an impact on you and your career that you remember? You know, was it a gateway to Burgundy? Was it something simple, champagne? 
you know, you give me one or two. What are those wines? Yeah. Um, one of them was uh, in the polishing room at Frosca. It okay. was Burgundy Festival. I forget if it must have been. It was either 2013. It must have been 2013 or 2014. And uh, they were like the room was filled with so many great wine minds. There was Robert Bohr was in the room. Grant Reynolds was in the room. Um, I was not in the room. I was in the polishing room, <laughs> to be clear. But stuff uh, was getting to you and, or you got to it afterwards? Your friend uh, Raj was Raj. in the room. Yep. And um, it was probably about 2.30 in the morning and Peter Hoagland, our GM at the time, uh, came out and he poured me like the little dregs of 1995 Latash. <laughs> now you've never had that before. Oh no! And how much Burgundy have you had? Had you had before that? I mean, uh, not not. I mean, a little bit, but not nearly. You know, I was I was. Did you know Latash was like this I rare knew, special? Oh yeah, okay. I knew what it was. So for did sure. it did it live up to the hype? Um, you know, it it did. It was that moment. Right. It was all. It, Sometimes it's more of the moment. Of course, it's not the perfect sip. It was dregs. You know, right, there right, was right. sediment. There was tears. It was, it was not. This was not a pristine, beautifully decanted moment. But, but there was something very special um, about that. I think another time, um, I think it was Matt Murphy who came in of uh, and he a Presqueil winery. He and um, he was sitting on the chef's table in, in Frosca and blinded me on, I forget what vintage, I have to be honest, but it was Shav. And, ah, and so that was your... Those moments where, you know, you get the region, you get the grape, and, you know, you're you're in it, and then someone reveals that they just poured you a glass of Shav. Yeah. Like, well, Shav and like, Latash are two Like, I like good. you, you're good. <laughs> you can, we can, those, we can hang out. <laughs> those are two good answers. So... Um, all right, last question, and I think you should do well with this because you've been around wine enough and you're into, I don't know what the right word is, value or you know, fair price for a good wine type thing. Recommend to me best wine around 15, 20 bucks retail. My kids are in their 20s. They got to be adults now. They can't show up at dinners with crappy wine yeah. and they can't afford $40 gifts. So how do they wow at 15, 18, 20, 22 book, bucks? Give me white, give me red. Ah, well, 15 bucks on the, 15 on the dollar, not okay. to be a total sellout here. Okay, but, go ahead. But Frico, Bianco, and Rosso are great from Bobby's uh, That's Scarpetta. That's Bobby's wine, right. So Scarpetta's so, the winery, yeah. Frico is the region. The Rosso, no, it's just the, it's the, the little the fantasy name. Right, um, right, but, right. Uh, Frico is the, the, the Rosso is uh, Sanchevese. Um, and, nice. Uh, made, it's essentially declassified Chianti and just great, fresh, food friendly. So that's, and, that's a red. Yeah. And then I believe the white is still, um, for the most part, Friolano, I think maybe, or they have a Friolano that's, again, just super still in fresh. Still price and, range? Yeah. It's, it's, they're both, I think, 15 bucks. Accessible? Like, super. you know, the type of wine stores you'd expect may have them? 100%. Okay. Those are and are readily. any of those on your list? Um, we have his Prosecco on the list. Okay. Um, so, and maybe stuff comes on and off. Yeah. All right. But there's a lot, you know, I think it, 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 it's a great it's a great question, and it's a great question to ask young sommeliers. Yeah. Um, because how much, how hard it is to find great wine under $20 retail is 
that's that's the fun. That's the hard part, right? Yeah. To your question earlier about yeah. the list under a hundred dollars, like that is where you see the merit and the the value, right? Um, and you're reaching a certain audience that doesn't look beyond that, so you better be prepared yeah. to you know wow them and be a little creative. I think you do it well. Um, all right, good job. I didn't tell you this, but we post all your answers on social media, so stay tuned in our upcoming promotion of the show we will post um audrey's answers on our wineless post all right audrey we end the show when we can when people are gracious to bring in wines i asked if you could sneak something out of the restaurant and you brought in a gruna veltliner from the producer is it alzinger yeah all right so Tell me more. Year, tell me a little about the grape, the producer, and then we're going to taste it and evaluate it. Yeah, so this is a Leo Altzinger, uh, Federspiel 2020 vintage, um, Gruner Veltliner uh, from Dernstein. So from a few vin different vintages and, excuse me, uh, from a few different vineyard sites in the Wachau of Austria um, along the Danube River. Um, I love these wines I love them when they're young. I love them as they age. Sometimes when you have those moments to have them with some age on them, they're really incredible. Um, he's a great producer next to uh, another wonderful one, Canole. Um, K-N-O-L-L. -L. Yep, exactly. Um, but has never really... I mean, physically, geographically? They're ge near yeah, they're next, to e okay. next door to each other. And um, But he's never really swayed with the trends to kind of make really overblown styles of Gruner and Riesling. Um, and though picks somewhat ripe, but they're always really fresh. And um, But What's I love the, these. Sorry. What? No, I'm, I interrupted yeah. you, but answer my question and then go back, please. What's the retail on this? I believe this is $29 retail. Okay. I have to double check on okay, that. Okay, so that's a pretty good value for this kind of wine. I think there's a lot of wine here, like for sure. All right, so let's let's do our... Grape Nation evaluation ah. for the weekly wine slip. Let's first start with color. Pretty golden, right? Um, clear, right? Absolutely. All right. Let's go to the nose. I defer to you because the nose knows and you know. So what are we getting? So a couple of questions. Is this a typical Gruner nose? What are we getting on the nose? Yeah, I think it's a wonderful expression of Gruner. It has really ripe pineapple uh, and kind of a salty lime. Definitely a salinity. The lime is a little citrusy. The pineapple. Yeah, and a touch savory. There's an herbaceous, uh, but really not, not a weedy quality. It's fresh. Right. Yeah. Or grassy or anything. Yeah. It, it just pisses me off that... I agree with all of that and I know it, but I can't articulate it, you know, which is why I do this and ask you. It's all spot on, you know. All right. So that's the nose. All right. So let's go mouthfeel. Throw it over to the tongue, down the throat. Pretty medium, medium plus. I mean, it's not a thin wine. It's not mouth coating, but it's got a nice body, right? Yeah. I, I love, you know, Gruner um, sometimes... People think it's just for like that early spring veggies. This has a little more weight and texture yes. without, again, I, I keep saying this and I think this is just a theme of what wines I do love. There's, there's texture, 
but there's it's not heavy or bogged down. There's a so when you said green veggies, were you alluding to the fact that Gruner is a great pair with veggies? Yeah, it can be it's one, one of the wines that does that well, and veggies can be hard. Yeah, but it, it goes beyond that. All right, so that's the mouthfeel. It's really nice. You know, it's got a great feel in the mouth. Now, palate. Does the palate resemble the nose? In some of those descriptors, do some drop off? Do new ones come on? Tell me what you get on the palate. Yeah, I think that it's it definitely has more citrus drive on the palate, but that there is a that it, the pineapple fruit is still there, but it's more of a a tartar a tartarness. Yes. Like there's a tartness, a salinity. Um, there's that herbaceous, mm-hmm. not herbaceous, savory. Um, I pick up, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, I pick up medium acidity. It doesn't tingle, but it's there. Mm -hmm. Is that accurate? Absolutely. I think it's not racing. It's not Mm. what's Mm -mm. stealing the show or anything like that. But you could feel it, and that's good for food. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me about some ideal pairings for a wine like this. Yeah, I think... um, crudite of of sorts could be we have on our menu right now um one with actually it's a it's actually a a little more starting to move into more fall flavors and autumnal uh feel to it with um a baba ganoush and it'll hold up to that rich dip yeah and what about what else any meats poultries fish i mean do you see anything ideal there yeah i think any poached fish anything with a little more of a like even like broccolini could be really great with that um that would be a good chicken. vegetable pairing it's really versatile chicken like yeah. a roasted chicken or a saucy chicken i think a roasted yeah. chicken yeah like, i think it'll hold up well i think saucy would kind of get this might now you got to pair to the sauce it might so. start to yeah. feel astringent and i think what you what i love about this wine is the texture and you, i wouldn't want to lose that right um, so that is the, and help me fill the blanks in, 2020, mm-hmm. Alsinger. Let's spell Alsinger. A-L-Z-I-N-G-E-R. Alsinger Gruner Veltliner from, to explain what Dernstein, Dunstein is. Dernstein is the village. Dernstein, right. D-U-R-N-S-T-E-I-N. Nailed it. Okay, that's Dernstein. Um and what region again? Did you say Wachau? Yep, the from Wachau, Austria. W a c h a u. And we're talking about high twenties on this, twenty nine, yeah. thirty bucks. And is that a terrific value for twenty nine bucks? I one? think for being one of the great wines of the yeah. the region and the world, I think that's a steal. I agree, and I like this wine very much, and I thank you for bringing it in. It's it's nice to drink Austrian wines. It's nice to pick out a nice maker and to present a good wine, so I thank you for that. All right, let me do a quick wrap-up, and then I want to get some info from you. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. And I'm not begging you, but I'm asking you, subscribe. When you subscribe, the podcast shows up, you know, after we uh, put it up for you guys to listen to. So please become a subscriber if you can. 
Um, you could find us on Facebook at the Grape Nation. On Instagram, we're at S Ben Ruby. At Twitter, we're at Ben Ruby. But you can always get to those two by way of the hashtag, um, the Grape Nation. We're trying to build a little community on Clubhouse, so you can follow us there at Ben Ruby. As mentioned earlier, we will post Audrey's wine list, all her great answers and recommendations. And I will post specific information on the weekly wine sip um, on our social media sites. Audrey, if we want to find you on social media, Audrey, and we want to find One White Street, which are two different things, where do we go? Um, It's... Uh, on social media, sorry, on social media. Yeah, I mean, wherever oh, yeah. you're the, um, have the most presence, I yeah, would guess Instagram. Um, at, yeah, Instagram at Audrey underscore Frick. Frick, oh, yeah. that's original. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> I think that, good. I think, it's, uh, I think that's it. And uh, um, I have to check. T- I don't, I'm, not, I'm not really on Twitter very much, so I apologize. But yeah, Instagram. Yeah, Instagram's fine. And then at One White Street NYC. Okay. It, is it W O N E? W-H-I-T. Is it S-T or S-T-R-R-S-T-R-E-E-T? S-T-R-E-E-T. N-Y-C. N-Y-C. Okay. All spelled out. You can go there and you could also Google it and get to their website and see the wine list. All right. I want to thank our guest, Audrey Frick, for hitting in the fourth position on our sommelier September. Awesome job. Thank you for coming in. As always, I want to thank our engineer, Armin, for sitting there and putting up with me and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Van Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.